This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. You are listening to a section of the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project, in which a number of LibriVox volunteers write and record a whole novel together, in serial form, during November 2006. The project is based on the idea started by the National Novel Writing Month. Chapter 8 Written by Susan Denny, www.susandenny.com, recorded by Susan Denny. Do you know what time it is? Tracy's voice hissed into Trevor's cell phone. I'd scream, but I don't want to wake the baby up. It's too. Trevor interrupted her tirade. Tace, this is the most important phone call you've ever gotten. Please listen. Trevor knew that using his childhood name for Tracy would get her attention. He never called her Tace unless he was saying something very personal. He'd thought a lot about this phone call in the last few hours and knew that he had only a few minutes to complete it. By the time he and Fulvia had sailed back to shore, they had missed the last plane for Prague and had had to wait for the morning flight. She had put him under the care of an operative named L-344, and Trevor hadn't even been to the bathroom without the thug's chaperonage. Fulvia had given instructions to L-344 that Trevor use no electronics, and so he hadn't so much as looked at the television news since she had invited him to Prague. But he had had plenty of time to ponder. The chinchilla had been awake and active most of the night. At the moment, he was hunkered down in the last stall of the men's bathroom in the airport at Lucca, waiting for a world con flight to the Czech Republic. L-344 hadn't been able to follow Fulvia and Trevor to the gate, so Trevor had seized the first opportunity to call his twin. "'I'm listening, Trevor.' Tracy's voice was calm. "'I know you're dying to ask me questions, and I'm afraid I haven't got time to answer any, so don't.' I have to ask you some questions, and then I'm going to ask two favors. Promise me that you'll do what I ask. This isn't a joke? It's no joke. Okay, then. I promise. Trevor could hear the tension in Tracy's voice. He hated treating her this way, but he only had a few moments to tell her what he thought would be the safest course for her family. First of all, where are you? Trevor knew that the question was odd, but she answered simply, I'm at home. That's good. Trevor had hoped that Fulvia had been bluffing about Tracy's staying with friends of hers. It was so unlike Tracy to take the baby but to leave four-year-old Michael behind. Secondly, do you know a woman named Fulvia Rossi? I know someone named Fulvia, but her last name isn't Rossi. That's not as good. This means that what I have to ask now is a question of life or death. Trevor realized that this sounded melodramatic, but there had to be some circumstances in life that really were that critical. Clichés are based on truth, after all. First, have Stephen pack up the most essential of the children's things while you call up a women's shelter. Don't have him pack a lot. It would look suspicious. Tell them anything about Stephen you want, but make it bad enough that they will take you in immediately. If Stephen could black your eye or give you some bruises, it would be better. 
If you can't manage that, talk about mental abuse and make it thick. Be sure and pack your laptop. But, no buts, Tracy. It's the safest place for you right now. Fulvia has threatened to hurt you and the children. Trevor heard an intake of breath, but Tracy didn't reply. She was showing superhuman restraint. Stephen should check into a hotel with multiple floors. He should get off the elevator at different floors each time he goes to his room in case someone is following him. You think he's in danger, too? Yes, but not as much as you. That's good. Tracy's love for Stephen was deep. Most women wouldn't find anything good in the whole situation. Trevor continued. Lastly, before you leave, take a few minutes to post on LibriVox anything that you can remember about Grandpa Masseuse, Prague, and the Knights of Malta. Don't be too overt, but give me any details you remember. The most trivial piece of information could be critical, posted under the thread for The Mystery. I've been listening to it, Trevor. So much of it matches up with what I remember hearing about our grandfather. Keep remembering. It's vital. I don't have any more time. He paused. Tracy, I love you. I love you too, Trevor. Before leaving the bathroom, Trevor splashed some water on his still-throbbing lip. Fulvia had administered very competent first aid rather than let him call a doctor. He had found this ironic, since it was because of her that he had bit through his lip in the first place. His body ached in all the places that Fulvia had damaged the day before, and in some that she hadn't even touched. Sympathy pains, he guessed. Trevor left the bathroom and sat down next to Fulvia. She was attracting envious attention from all the women in the waiting area, and a completely different kind of attention from most of the men. In other circumstances, being her companion would have been blissfully exotic. At the moment, he would have gladly exchanged her for any other woman of his acquaintance, including the toothless crone who imperfectly cleaned his apartment every Friday. He still believed that he knew more about Fulvia than she did him, and he planned to play the slightly nerdy role she expected. Trevor's thoughts were focused on those missing pages of the manuscript, pages 10 through 33, when Fulvia touched his arm. Two members of airport security were talking earnestly with the World Con agent at the departure gate. Trevor saw the female agent protest slightly, then nod. Paging Passenger Rossi! Passenger Rossi! Fulvia grabbed his elbow and pulled him along with her to answer the summons. I'm Passenger Rossi. Her smile was at its most brilliant. And this is my companion, Trevor Ames. It's a privilege to be traveling with your most special customer. The World Con agent looked at Trevor nervously. I'm sorry about this, Miss Rossi. Mr. Ames. She nodded in his direction. Airport security has a question about a substance in your checked baggage, Miss Rossi. They need to discuss this with you privately. I'm sure it's nothing. Mr. Ames can certainly come along with me, I expect. Again, an urbane and relaxed smile from Fulvia. The security policeman spoke up. We need to speak with you alone, Miss Rossi. Very well. 
"'Darling, you'll look after my carry-on bag, won't you?' Trevor realized that he was darling, and tried to go along with the game. He noticed that her smile was becoming fixed, like Halloween wax lips. "'You will need to bring all your possessions with you, Miss Rossi. Our apologies to your traveling companion.' The security agents took her arms in theirs. It was obviously an arrest, but the agents were trying to create as little disturbance as possible." Fulvia looked back over her shoulder as the agents escorted her down the concourse. Her look was plain. It said, I don't know how you did this, but I'll be back. The plane doors had to be reopened to admit a last-minute passenger who took Fulvia's seat. Hazel Brown sat down beside Trevor and said brightly, What luck for me that this seat became available. I'm going to Prague on holiday. How about you? Trevor had been surprised so many times in the last few days that he reacted to this new development with only a slight lift of the eyebrow. The blue eyes were unmistakable, but the personality was not. When he didn't answer, she continued, "'I'm sorry. I know I'm chatty. I just love talking to strangers, but some people just can't stand it when their seatmate talks the whole time. I hope you'll let me know if my yammering bothers you.' "'No, not at all,' Trevor mumbled. Her behavior was so uncharacteristic of the quiet blonde he had first met in Egypt. He realized that Hazel had some information to impart, and that her babble was going to be embedded with some important information. I find flying tiresome. I'm sure you'll be entertaining. The flight from Malta to Prague was fairly long, since it included a short layover in Frankfurt. So for five hours Hazel and Trevor talked about seemingly inconsequential tourist information. She began by recital of her recent holidays, but turned the topic eventually to Prague. In the mass of information she spewed forth, Trevor began to pick up clues and details he knew she thought were important. Starved by a lack of access to the Internet and LibriVox, Trevor was delighted that Hazel had done all the research he had been wishing he could do while under Fulvia's watchful eye. And my favorite place in Prague is Maltese Square. It's quiet, and it was in the movie Amadeus. I'm a Mozart freak, and Prague is so Mozart land. I got interested and Googled it. I love Google, don't you? It's almost as wonderful as LibriVox. She smiled at Trevor under blue mascarid eyelashes. Anyway, the Knights of Malta have had a building and a church there since the 12th century. They have an embassy there still. It's quaint, you know, an embassy without a country. At the end of the flight, Hazel was still talking. "'I see we're almost there. It's been great visiting with you. Do you have a hotel room? I know a quaint little place not far from Maltese Square. We could share a taxi.' Trevor was exhausted by the flow of words, but, thanks to her endless details about the city and the nights, he knew exactly where to start searching. "'I'd like that,' he said. Instinct told Trevor that he should lose Hazel, but common sense told him that he could not and he knew that Fulvia, or someone just like her, could not be far behind. At least by staying in the same hotel as Hazel he could keep an eye on one potential enemy. At this point he trusted no one except Tracy, and he was most likely going to have to solve this mystery without her help. A short while later he and Hazel were crossing the Charles Bridge on the way to Maltese Square. He was frustrated by the crowds of tourists and proggers preventing him from getting where he wanted to go so urgently. Hazel tugged on his sleeve. "'Look,' she said. "'They call it 
the golden city. He turned to face the river. Trevor was stunned for an instant at the sight of gold-covered domes and the shadows of distant bridges reflected in the Vlatava. Centuries disappeared as the memories of an ancient empire rose from the blur of water and sky. Amid the strange bustle of craftspeople and souvenir hawkers selling to the tunes of a Dixieland band, Hazel reached for his hand. My life is in your hand, you know. I know, he said. End of chapter 8 Recorded on November 9, 2006 by Susan Denny in Denton, Texas.